This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. All right. Hey, hey, welcome, Disability Law Show. We are back for another hour. So good to have you along. Strap in and uh, take down all this information that we're going to give you, including the contact information. You might want to reach out to uh, Savannah Tamarkin or Martin Willems. Uh, Martin's heading out the uh, the BC part of the uh, the firm. And Savannah also dealing out there, but across Ontario and Alberta as well. How to reach out to these gentlemen and their teams. Easy. one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca and for other questions you can go to anonymous website type it in there we'll get answered quickly my disability questions so here we go guys we got a bunch of emails coming through from uh, pretty much across the country but i know you wanted to kick things off with uh, with a kind of a week that was something you've been working on savannah what do you got pal i did um this is an interesting one i got a call earlier this week from um one of our our partners james fireman who had spoken with an individual in, in Calgary, uh, and he spoke with that, actually he spoke with that person's friend because that individual who's disabled is unable to to communicate adequately to explain his disability uh, or disabilities. And, and the reason James uh, talked to me about that is because uh, this is an interesting situation. Many of our listeners, John, obviously have been listening to us on this show uh, for years. And in mm-hmm. fact, people know that we also have an employment law show, we have uh, TV shows, uh, you know, uh, with respect to disability law, employment law. So we, we have a lot of these kinds of shows that are geared towards educating the public about their legal rights when it comes to long-term disability and employment law. And we are lawyers ourselves, of course, with offices in Ontario, BC, and Alberta. Now, here is the crux of what happened here. This individual uh, that James had spoken with, uh, who I am actually going to be speaking with next week, uh, she was explaining to us that her friend on whose behalf she's calling us, is disabled in a variety of ways. And I'm not going to get into them. Let me just tell you, John, it was a workplace injury years ago. This person, there's no way that that person can do any kind of work. I mean, he's not catatonic, but he has so many issues physically, emotionally, psychologically. He's got medical documents coming out of the wazoo with doctors saying he cannot work no matter what. And he had a a labor-intensive job when the injury occurred. So because this was a an injury that occurred as a result of work, uh, workers' compensation was involved. Now, he also had, through his health benefits at work, access to long-term disability, and so he applied to long-term disability as well. The way it generally works with long-term disability policies is that if you get workers' compensation, the long-term disability insurance company is entitled to a deduction or a credit for whatever you get from workers' compensation. In this case here... This person uh, was getting enough workers' compensation benefits to offset 100% of any benefits that the long-term disability insurance company would have to pay. Mm. So to put it simply, he would qualify for long-term disability but get nothing from the insurance company because he's getting all the money that he's entitled to from workers' compensation. Okay, we're, we're clear at this point, right, John? Right, gotcha. Okay. Now, he's now arrived at the two-year mark, and we've talked about this a lot on this show. That's usually when, under most long-term disability policies, the requirement or the test for getting long-term disability changes from your own occupation, that you cannot perform the essential tasks of your own occupation, to any occupation. This gentleman we're talking about cannot do any occupation. Okay, That is a fact. But the insurance company, I'm talking about not workers' compensation, but the insurance company who's been paying zero 
the entire time, has concluded that they believe he can do something else. And so they're going to cut him off at that two-year mark, meaning they're going to say that you're no longer entitled to benefits. Now, to them, it doesn't really matter because they haven't been paying anything because he's been right. getting paid by workers' compensation. It's absolutely clear why it is that they are doing this. They understand that even though he's completely disabled, uh, no one, no lawyer or most lawyers will not pick up that case because if you go after the insurance company here, you can't really go after any substantial benefits because he's already getting paid by WSIB. So this is a situation where the insurance company is taking advantage of this individual, figuring that this person is not going to stand up to their rights. So why did James call me? Because if we were to take on that case, the most I think that we could potentially go after the insurance company for is punitive damages for acting in bad faith here, for cutting him off when it's abundantly clear he should not be cut off benefits. The reason, though, why it's us that he contacted is because we have media presence. And I'm going to speak with this person. And I'm going to get all the medical documentation. We're going to make sure we cross all the T's, dot all the I's. And I'm going to commun communicate with this insurance company. I'm going to tell them there is no reason why you cut him off. You're not paying anything anyway, so just keep him on claim. By the way, the reason they cut him off is because they understand that if workers' compensation at some point stops paying him, they're going to have to actually pay him those medical benefits. And they just don't want that exposure. They want to stop the claim right there and then. We are going to use everything in our disposal, and that's something that's very unique about our firm. We have zero uh, issue. We have zero concern. In fact, we're very happy to use the media, to use our our our, our uh, presence uh, with the news, uh, the news media, and 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 whatever we can—radio, TV, paper—to embarrass these insurance companies who are acting in such a high-handed manner. And the reality is, and it's just a reality. Most lawyers, most law firms don't have that access. They just don't have those connections, and we do. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to do anything unethical here. Absolutely not. But if you were to Google my name, you were to Google our firm name, our lawyers' names, we've been in the media quite a lot yep. dealing with cases, dealing with insurance companies that have acted in, in, in bad faith. And the reality is that sometimes, unless we get this media exposure, unless we, we go after these insurance companies for this kind of bad high-handed conduct legally, but also let the media have the, you know, their say here, you know, and, and bring those stories to the public because these are stories about human beings and that's what these insurance companies don't get. They are dealing with human beings. They're not treating them as human beings. And that's what I'm going to do with this individual. So I'm going to talk to him. So I just wanted to bring that out because it's interesting. It's a situation where an insurance company, I think, is thinking they can get away with simply doing whatever they want because the reality is from a purely monetary standpoint, this individual will not be able to find the lawyer. Well, guess what? They were wrong. Mm -hmm. They were wrong because he's going to find the lawyer. He's going to find us, and we're going to help him. Guys, you can reach out to anytime. At least have that conversation. Get some uh, some satisfaction, some insight too. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at disabilityrights.ca. And Savannah earlier there did mention on the TV show that runs pretty much across the country and uh, jurisdictions. You can find that. Go to disabilityrights.ca. There's a media tab, and it'll be taken care of there as well. Guys, you want to move on to our first email? I'd love to uh, to get into this. This one from Boris. This one coming from Toronto. This time it says, guys, as a representative of a medical clinic specializing in helping patients suffering from long COVID, I'm researching if there is precise language that our clinicians should 
could use when making diagnoses, diagnoses that will aid our patients in successfully being approved for LTD due to their long COVID diagnosis. In other words, how can our medical practitioners best ensure that we can help our clients suffering from long COVID qualify for LTD benefits? What are insurance companies and or CPP disability looking for? Any information you could provide would be greatly appreciated. That's an awesome email. Well, thank you, Boris, uh, for, for that email. And you know what? Every now and again, we do have questions from treatment providers, doctors, or other professionals in, in the medical sphere as to how to support their patients, get long-term disability benefits, and how do they complete medical questionnaires or medical forms in order to assist their patients in the, the best way they can to complete those forms and to then be entitled to LTD benefits. And that's similar here, but what we're talking about is long COVID. Um, something that I always say to people that I speak with who phone us or who write to us with respect to their LTD claims and when it's been denied, diagnosis is important, right? But it's not the most important thing. Right. The most important thing under a disability policy and what insurance companies look at and what you as the person making the claim has to prove is what is your functional impairment? In other words, what are your restrictions and limitations? So if a person has been diagnosed with a certain condition, in this case, they're speaking about long COVID, the question is going to be, how does that diagnosis affect the patient's ability to function in their occupation? Mm -hmm. In other words, how are they restricted and or limited from performing their duties? So for long COVID, if a person is you know, significantly out of breath, significant shortness of breath, which le may lead to fatigue issues, which may lead to a decreased sleep, uh, low energy levels, which may then transform and relate into medical, mental health issues. Those are the things that you should be focusing on. How are they impacted? So can they, it impacts their energy levels, it impacts their uh, focus, their concentration. Um, if it impacts their mental health, as I said before, they may have emotional breakdowns, etc. We detail those in restrictions and limitations questionnaires and then explain how it would impact them from performing the duties of their occupation at the time. So if a person, for example, has to work uh, in a, as a forklift driver and they've got long COVID and long COVID we know these days is very similar to chronic fatigue syndrome where people have brain fog, where they have limited capacity to do any form of activity, explain how it would impact their ability to work as a forklift driver, which may be more physical in nature. And of course, with mental health cases, you can explain how it would impact people working at a desk job. So focus on restrictions and limitations. And of course, if there's a denial, then get in touch with us because then we could assist as to how the, the follow-up medical document should look. Savan, you have got any comments? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you really covered it really well. By the way, it's not the first time that we've had doctors uh, contact us, and I, I'm in touch with many doctors. Martin, I know you are too. Um, you know, they contact us just because of, again, our presence on in the media, and they, they've, you know, they, they've come to know us also when we help their their uh, 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 patients. And, and you know, what's really important to understand is that uh, the the uh, reports that you write the language that you use is absolutely crucial, which is why, by the way, we tell people, again, doctors, psychologists, anyone that is in the uh, uh, health field, that if you have questions, we will speak with you for free. You don't have to breach any patient 
doctor uh, confidentiality here, we're going to help you. And on our website, the website ltdfaq.ca, John, that's a website we've been talking about for a while. There's actually a memo there that talks about here's what insurance companies like to see, or at least what would be helpful for them to see, uh, from a doctor writing a report. So you can just go there, again, frequently asked questions, uh, exactly on this topic. It's a two or three page memo, and it really hammers home exactly what it is that you can write to help your patients get LTD. Boris, thank you so much for that. No, we hope that in-depth uh, answer uh, satisfied all. If not, you can always reach out by phone, as I'm sure you know, one 821 5900 the way to do that. And you've already got the email address. There's also uh, ltdfaq.ca for concise, short, and easily understood memos about LTD as well. We'll take a short break and head to Calgary with our next note. That is on the way. Uh, With more of the Disability Law Show, stand by. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. All right, welcome back. Thank you so much for sticking around. Disability Law Show. Martin Willems is here on the West Coast. And uh, Savannah Tamarkin, of course, co-founding partner, Samfiru Tamarkin, LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in this country. Feel free at any time to reach out and talk to these guys or their respective teams and so many other professional and uh, well-steeped in the law lawyers at the firm. Here's how you do that, 1-855-821-5900, that toll-free phone number, help at disabilityrights.ca. I know, Savannah, you wanted to get into uh, one quick note before I moved on to another email. What's uh, what's going on over there? Yeah, we just had a question posted on MyDisabilityQuestions.com. This comes from Carol, and I'm just curious as to Martin's thoughts on it. Here's what she writes. She writes, do I need to provide uh, the insurance company with an independent medical assessment? Now, the way I read that in the context of long-term disability is a situation where, and I've had this asked of me before, and I'm curious about your experience, Martin, uh, when people have their own doctors who are treating them, who are writing to the insurance company saying, "I, you know, this person is disabled," and the insurance company either ignores that or disagrees with those doctors' assessments, people then ask me, "Do they need to hire a doctor or go for a second or third opinion in order to bolster what their own treating doctors are saying to maximize the chances of of the insurance company approving their long-term disability claim?" That's the way I read that. What do you think about that? Have you had experience with that? I have had that experience, and you know what? It's it's often in case I can think of one specifically where the person actually did do that, and it it had to do with a chronic fatigue case, uh, myalgic encephalomyelitis, where the person traveled to the U.S. to go do a specific test, a two-day test, and got a medical report, brought it back to Canada, and then submitted it to the family physician and a specialist. So there was the independent medical examination report, the family doctor's report, the specialist report. They all commented on it and then set it into the insurance company and the claim was still denied. And that independent medical assessment cost a significant amount of money, like thousands of dollars. And then it was still denied. So my first impression, because every case is different, obviously, but as a general rule, I would say, why would you need to do that? Because your doctor's or know you, they're aware of your restrictions and limitations. So if the insurance company denies your claim, I don't think the first thing to do is to go out and go get an independent medical assessment where you're going to pay lots of money to do that. The first thing to do is you come to us and we can have that discussion with you as to what is the best approach. Sometimes when we do get involved in cases, 
and we have a legal claim, then we represent the client and we go out and we do get potentially an independent medical examination report through the course of the legal claim. But ultimately, as an individual, do you need to go out and spend that money when you're already not receiving any funds from the insurance company? No, I don't think you need to do that. But again, it's very fact specific. All you need to do as the person making the claim is prove that you have restrictions and limitations that prevent you from working. And if you have a doctor or a specialist who's treating you, providing that information, the insurance company should be paying you your claim. And if they're not, then the first thing you do is you contact us. I've had cases where the person has come to me saying, look, I think I need to go out and get this. And at least we've had that discussion with the person before that was done, because then I would generally dissuade them to do so. And we would get involved in the claim and we would help the person fight the insurance company with the information that we had at the time because i believed it was sufficient so i wouldn't advise anybody to go out and do that without speaking to us good advice guys and here's how we uh, here's how you do that moving along anytime of course is 1-855-821-5900 want to head out to uh to calgary again uh, taking care of things for calgary alberta and uh, edmonton respectively guys calgary though uh, nicole that's where this note comes from mydisabilityquestions.com anytime you want to reach out in, in addition to email or phone call Says, uh, I've been on disability since March 2021. They closed my case because my nurse practitioner, without my knowledge, told them I was ready to return to work when my symptoms got worse. They said that was normal and refused to reinstate my coverage. My nurse practitioner has since been let go and my doctor has taken over, but he took too long getting more info to them, so they have now denied two appeals in getting my case opened. Please review their decisions attached, she says. I've been fighting with them for months, months, and honestly, I'm exhausted and don't know what to do. I'm desperate at this point and can no longer afford my rent, therapy, any medications, etc. What a story. Not from Nicole. Yeah, and John, again, this is not something that you know we see rarely. I mean, we see these kinds of scenarios. Again, the facts are different. The people are different. But it's the same kind of a thing where you're having someone who is communicating with the insurance company. It's interesting to me that this nurse practitioner simply communicated with the insurer here without Nicole's knowledge. I don't even understand how that can be. I'm I'm wondering what the, the background is here. You know, I've seen this happen before in situations where the insurance company tells you, go to this clinic or to this doctor or to this uh, physio or whatever it is and, and get treatments from them. We'll pay for it. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, okay, well, the insurance company is telling me to go there. I have to get treatments. I want to get better. You go to these individuals only to find out that down the road, they're telling the insurance company that you're ready to go back to work before you believe that you are ready and before your own doctors say that you are ready. I'm wondering if that's what happened here. I think this is completely inappropriate. I would like to understand what is the background here because Clearly, Nicole is unready to go, or she's not ready to go back. And, you know, again, she's mentioning the appeals, right? And we're talking about March 2021. We are now, what, a year and a half now after? Sorry, she's been on disability since since March 2021. We don't actually know when, when her case was closed. But just imagine she's probably been without any payments, without any money coming in for such a long time that now she's mm-hmm. about to to lose her apartment. Look, we can help immediately here. 
we would need to work with her to understand exactly the nature of her disability. We need to speak with whoever that doctor is that took over, maybe any other doctors that have been treating her. Presumably she, she's been treated along the way. Uh, this nurse practitioner is not the only one that has been dealing with her. So I would like to understand that. And, you know, it, this could be a situation where Martin and I, you know, one of us gets involved, assembles the correct uh, documentation, sends it to the insurance company, and gives them a deadline. You know, you either uh, reinstate her or you get a legal claim on your doorstep. Or if we think it's really egregious, if we don't believe the insurance company is going to do anything. By the way, we know these insurance companies. I don't even know which insurer it is. But it could be that Martin and I will decide, no, this insurance company has no point talking to them. We might as well just start the legal claim now. That's how we exert maximum pressure. But clearly, she's in a very bad state. And what I often tell people, John, is don't try and fight this on your own. She tried to appeal twice, right? Nothing happened with that. You're going around in circles. It's like a hamster on a wheel. And that's what the insurance company wants to do. They want you to give up. That is part of the you know, the, 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 the paradigm, that's, that's, that's how they've designed the process. If they can get you to give up or be afraid of them or be intimidated, they've won, yeah. right? They, they are using your psychology, your exhaustion, your disability against you. What we are telling you is you don't need to do that. If you come to us and we review everything at no charge and we tell you you have a case and we can go after the insurance company and force them to pay you, you're not the one having to deal with them. You're simply giving us the ability to fight for you. You can focus on getting better. That's what it's all about because you want to get better, right, Nicole? I mean, you're, you don't want to be on disability. It's very rare for me. In fact, you know, any clients I've ever had, I've never, ever felt that they wanted to be disabled right? They're not doing this because somehow this is fun. They're doing this because they're trying to get better. Something happened, whether it was an injury or an illness or something, they want to get better. And so it's really important to understand is that we can help you not just focus on your health, but we can help you fight against the insurance company and we will do that for you. You just need to give us the go ahead. Martin, what do you think, pal? Great advice. You know, uh, uh, one of the things that jumped out at me when I was reading that is the nurse practitioner saying that uh, Nicole is ready to return to work. Is that really what the nurse practitioner said? We don't know because the insurance company is saying this is what we got. I've seen cases like this before where the denial was based on some note somewhere where it may say ready, may return to work when condition is stabilized, where the insurance company would just say, oh, there, there's a reference to ready to return to work. You can go back to work. So I would question exactly what was said in the first instance and mm. the unfortunate thing here is nicole in good faith i'm sure relied on the insurance company to reinstate her benefits by engaging in this appeal process and she did it twice and now probably months have gone by because appeals then they don't take just a day or two right it takes time so going through two appeals now still sitting where she was at when the claim was denied months have gone by the stress, the anxiety, and the financial pressure must be extreme. Um, this is what the message really is. And as Savona said, if there is a denial, make contact with us. We will review the claim for you on a free basis. At least you will be able to make a decision as to how to move forward because you've got information. There's also limitation periods, meaning a time frame within which you can file a legal claim that runs regardless of whether you're engaging in an appeal. Right. And people do not know that. And it's important to know that. 
because if you do engage in an appeal, if you process, if you pursue that appeal, it may be drawn out. There's a two-year time frame from the date of the denial or the date of the last payment within which you can file a legal claim. Nicole, thank you for your contribution to the show as well. And you know the email address. I'll give you the phone number quickly. And if you're listening, you can uh, write this down as well, one 855 821-5900. Moving on down the line. Lots of these to get through. We'll try to squeeze as many as we can in this hour. Mark is up next. Says, hey guys, I'm currently on LTD with February 2023 being the change of definition date with my disability insurer. Up until recently, they've been great, but the disability insurer has recently been pushing towards a return to employment, same or similar to my current employment, including asking me to ask the treating specialists for information on my condition and treatments. This included an IME and a vocational assessment which recommends other employment that pays far less than what I was making before. Do I need a lawyer just yet? Wow, what, what, that's a great question. Uh, specifically, the actual question. I mean, the scenario itself and what's happened that's led up to this question uh, is really important. We're going to get into it, but the question is key because people often ask, when do I need a lawyer? Right. And what we tell people is it's never too early to speak with us. Now, I'm not saying that you call us if you're thinking about getting an LTD policy. I mean, talk to an insurance broker for that. But as soon as you're having an issue, or at least things are happening with your insurance company that you're not feeling comfortable with, such as them sending you to an assessment, them starting to talk about a return to work that you're not ready or comfortable with, or your doctors are not ready or comfortable with, as soon as they're mentioning to you the change of definition date and are starting to give you an indication that maybe your benefits would be stopped at that point or something is going to happen, immediately you should be reaching out to us because we'll be able to explain to you exactly what is going on here. And here the picture is abundantly clear. Mark, they do not want to pay you beyond the two-year mark, period. And they're now sending you to this IME, to a vocational assessment. They're trying to figure out how can they justify cutting you off LTD benefits. It's that simple. Whether or not there is, in fact, justification, whether or not you are, in fact, able to do some other work. And by the way, the analysis is not just any other work, but it's any other work for which you are suited for by training, education, or experience. Can you earn about, let's say, two-thirds of your predisability income with this other occupation? Essentially, can you get... Uh, the same amount of money that the LTD employer is getting you by working elsewhere? If the answer is no, then more likely than not, you are entitled to ongoing benefits beyond that two-year mark, beyond that change of definition date. But again, it doesn't cost anything to speak with us, which is why this is a great question, and that's what we tell people. Mm -hmm. Give us a call. Contact us. We will go through everything with you. I know we have to go to a break, John, but maybe let's pick it up after. I want to get Martin's thoughts on this as well. You bet, and we'll get into that break and return with more. And in the in between that, you can write the number down, get an email prepped as well. Might appear on a future show. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is how you execute that. And then the email address help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue more of the disability long shows coming up. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. All right, we're back. Disability Law Show. Thanks for hanging with us. If not for the whole hour, you can reach out afterwards anytime to Martin or Savannah, the number one eight five five eight two one. 5900 email address we always use on the show is help at disability 
disabilityrights.ca. Now, if you send a question in to mydisabilityquestions.com, which, by the way, is free and anonymous for you to use anytime, that might appear on the show as well. So you can always stay tuned for that. Before we move on, Savannah, we were talking about... Uh, well, we're talking about uh, lots of things, including IMEs, vocational assessments, going back to work, and you know the 66% of the compensation that you're looking at if you are forced to go back to work. Uh, continue on with your point, pal. Well, uh, John, <laughs> we're going to have Martin comment on it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so let's, uh, let's, let's, let's start again and maybe just ask him to, uh, to comment okay. on it. Yeah. Okay. I'll just pick it up where I was. So, guys, getting back to where we were just before the break, we were talking about IMEs. We're talking vocational assessments, making uh, similar money uh, of current employment. It's 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 crazy. But uh, Martin, what do you think about all that? You know, when it gets to the change of definition, Mark, which is where this is headed. So we're not there yet, but clearly the insurance company is investigating whether Mark can, from their perspective, work in another occupation within the meaning of that policy. And Mark was asking the question, is it too early to speak to a lawyer or is it time to speak to a lawyer at least? And I agree with Savant's assessment that it's never too early, but especially in this case, if they've already done an independent medical examination and a vocational assessment, which from what I read says is recommending other employment that pays far less than I was making before, mm -hmm. definitely this is the time to speak to us. If that is indeed the case, then you may be looking at a denial that is coming down the pipe. And if that were to happen, then the insurance company now has an independent medical examination, which they went out and paid for, and a vocational assessment. So they've got, from their perspective, evidence to support their position that Mark is no longer totally disabled with the meaning of the policy. Now, he hasn't been denied yet, but from what I'm reading, it sounds like that's what's coming. And if that were to be the case, that's what we do as well. So if you get in touch with us, and if we need to fight the insurance company, we're going to level the playing field. So, Mark, don't be intimidated by the insurance company. There is help, and we are that help. If uh, if denied, uh, Martin, you smelling another appeal on the horizon, which we can't stand, and they're a complete waste of time, but is that likely to? You know, but if, there is going, if there's the denial, speak to us about that, because I, I would not, in the context of existing, and a vocational assessment, I would not do an appeal if I were Mark, because it really means that you would have to fight expert by expert, right? Yes, you can have your doctors comment on the findings in the independent medical examination, but if the insurance company has already gone out and paid for two different assessments, they've got money invested in that now. So how likely is it that they're going to listen to the treating physicians now and overturn that decision through an appeal? Because a legal claim gives you leverage, right? It's, we don't do right. that in all cases, but a legal claim gives you leverage because the insurance company doesn't want to be in that legal claim. They want to get out of it. And the way that they do so is by negotiating with you. So again, I, I'll use that phrase again. You level the playing field. It gives you some leverage to negotiate with them. I think we got enough time to get Susan in here as well, at least. Uh, Susan says, guys, question. My disability insurer has accepted my claim for another three months, which was stated in the letter that arrived. But at the end of the month, I didn't receive my benefit payment. Question. Can they stop payment without notification? Look, I, the answer, Susan, is that they can do whatever they want. It doesn't mean right. it's legal. It doesn't mean it's ethical or moral. And the reality is that if they're not paying you when they should be paying you, well, then you have a legal right that you can enforce. And by you enforcing, I mean, we can help you with that. And, and John, you know, to Martin's point before, 
again, insurance companies often use any leverage they can to stop paying benefits. Oftentimes, they use methods which, you know, I, I can tell you we are not just against, but, you know, we feel are, are very dirty, right? I mean, they, they use any trick that they can. Sometimes, legitimately, people are not supposed to be getting any more benefits because of this reason or another. But in this case, Susan's saying she specifically should be getting more benefits. By the way, I don't even understand this whole idea of another three months. I mean, maybe it's because her disability, according to her doctors, will extend for the next three months, and so that the insurance company has agreed that that's fine, that they're going to pay for that. Uh, but again, for the insurance company not to pay when they've approved her or when the doctors are saying the person is disabled, that's when we get involved. This is what we do. It's that simple. We're not afraid to go after these insurance companies. The fact that these insurance companies know that they can do this to regular people because regular people don't know what their options are or will give up, that's, you know, it's a safe bet for them in, on many fronts. But when we get involved, we change the dynamic altogether because we're the ones who know the law and we go after them. We make sure people are getting the money they're owed, period. Shelly is up next, guys. This is an interesting uh, interesting email here. It says, I've been unable to work since contracting COVID in February 2022 that developed into long COVID, long-haul COVID. I initially applied for the CRSB, and when that was exhausted, called my workplace for guidance and found out there was a short-term, one week, and a long-term, only 10 weeks, uh, if my understanding is correct, experienced some, some cognitive issues due to brain fog. At this point, I filled out all the paperwork from the doctor also had sent in. I was denied due to missing the 30-day window to apply. I was 13 days late. I sent in an appeal via my union and have yet to hear anything from Canada, uh, the insurance company or my union since. Well, what should my uh, next course of action be? Well, uh, that's an interesting question, Shelley. So, Insurance policies have notice provisions, timelines, if you will. Some would say that within the th first 30 days of the disability, you have to provide notice of proof. And then uh, within 90 days, you would have to provide proof of claim. In other words, provide the evidence. In this case, Shelley has significant brain fog, as we mm -hmm. were speaking about earlier, which That's is right. one of the symptoms of long-haul COVID. And she missed out filling the paperwork within the required 30 days and she missed it by 13 days no yes those are timelines defined in the policy but ultimately is it reasonable to deny a claim based on missing it with 13 days in other words that the insurance company didn't get the notice i don't believe it is and if the insurance company insisted on dismissing this appeal because that's where it is now then i believe strongly that there is a claim that can be pursued here and that there is even a damages component that can be pursued in a case like this because you have to look at the circumstances of each and every claim and you cannot, in a case like this, criticize and penalize somebody mm -hmm. because of the symptoms of their disability. It is because of that that she missed this deadline and she's having difficulties. There is a duty of care this is a peace of mind contract. The insurance company is there to assist and not to try and find loopholes to deny a claim when it is a legitimate claim. So I feel very strongly about this. If this appeal were to be denied, get in touch with us because this is not right.
Well, you know what, guys? We'll, uh, we'll take a short break in that case. i got a couple more emails to get through in the last few minutes of the show. But uh, in the meantime, write this number down. If you want to contribute to the show, we'd love to have you on here as far as an email is concerned. Uh, you can do that, or mydisabilityquestions.com is a good way. The email address, help at disabilityrights.ca, L-T-D-F-A-Q. That website is constructed to be very easy to use. Uh, Drop-down menus of particular boxes and topics when it comes to shortened memos on LTD. Answer a lot of questions even before you grab the phone, LTDF. FAQ.ca. And then, yeah, that phone number, finally, 1-855-821-5900. We'll continue short break. More of the Disability Law Show coming up. Hang on. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. And we're back a few minutes ago. Good to have you along here. Disability Law Show. John Scholes along with Savannah Tamarkin co-founding partner Sam Firu to mark an LLP. They happen to be the most positive reviewed law firm in the country and taking things from the West Coast and running with it. Martin Willems always there to help you as well. How do you reach the guys and their team and everybody in the firm? Help at disabilityrights.ca. Phone number we use, one 821 5900 Guys, this next email is short but sweet, but it's a good one. This one from Laura says, can you be cut off disability if your employer has a duty to accommodate? Well, this is an interesting question because I think it's a combination of two questions that uh, were lumped together. Uh, The duty to accommodate is an employment construct. It's an employment idea. It's the idea that if you are disabled or impaired from doing, you know, the, the functions of your job, your employer has a duty at law to accommodate you up to a certain point. From 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 a disability standpoint, from 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 an insurance company standpoint, uh, if in fact you no longer qualify for long-term disability because you can work, but your employer is simply failing to accommodate you, I can tell you that the insurance company will take the position that they've complied with their obligations under the policy, and now it's the employer that is potentially in breach, and so you have an employment case, not an insurance case. Sometimes the employer is going to say, no, this is not a duty to accommodate <laughs> issue. There's no way we can accommodate you. you. You simply cannot perform the essential tasks of your occupation. And so, therefore, it is a, a disability issue. Now, lucky for Laura here who sent us this, this email is that our firm is known, widely known, for having expertise specifically with respect to those two areas of law, long-term disability and employment law. And that's important because those two areas of law often intersect the way they do here. And so we have often situations, John, where a person, whether it's Laura or someone else she's asking on their behalf, where they are being cut off long-term disability, and this person who is being cut off long-term disability goes to the employer and says, listen, I'm still not able to work, but if you accommodate me, I may be able to do something, whether it's contrary to medical advice or not, not the issue, but they need money coming in, and the insurance company stopped payments or is stopping mm-hmm. payments, and they need to try and, and work. But the employer says, no, either we cannot accommodate you or, no, this is way beyond what we can ever do. You should be on disability. And so they're being rejected by the insurance company. They're being rejected by the employer. They're stuck between a rock and a hard place. What do you do? I'll tell you what you do. This is when we come into the picture. Because our view, first of all, we're going to analyze the case, figure out if it is a disability case, i.e. if we have to go after the insurance company here for acting wrongly and appropriately, or if we have to go after the employer, or if we have to go after both, frankly. We don't care. Someone is going to be paying our clients. Somebody has to pay Laura here because clearly she can't work. 
That's the that's how ludicrous these things become. When an employer says we're not paying, an insurance company says we're not paying, meanwhile, this person has rights under the law and is not getting any money in. And that's how people, John, lose their homes. That's mm -hmm. how they have to sell stuff. Their kids can't eat. It's a ridiculous situation. It's a horrible situation. And so to answer your question, Laura, the employer has a duty to accommodate at law up to a certain point, and your insurance company has an obligation by law to pay you so long as you meet the criteria under the policy. And if you cannot go back to your own occupation within the first two years, they must continue to pay you. If you cannot go back to any occupation for which you're suited for beyond that two-year period, in other words, you can't earn, let's say, 65 or so percent of your predisability income at that two-year mark doing something else, the insurer should be paying you beyond that two-year mark. You know, so again, we, we can we can speak with Laura John after the show, but anyone out there, if you're having any issues similar to this, where you're being cut off or told that the insurance company is going to stop benefits and your employer is not willing to accept you, or you're not even ready to go back, at least not even you know with accommodation, we can help you deal with your insurance company and with your employer. It doesn't cost anything to talk to us, so please reach out. What do you think, uh, Savannah, right off the top for Laura, what would be the path of least resistance? I mean, you mentioned, you know, the uh, the duty to accommodate, which I think it's to the point of undue hardship, which is pretty high. It's a really high threshold. So is that is that where she's going to go first with this, where you guys would take her first? No. The first thing would be for us to speak with her, understand the nature of her disability, understand the kind of work that she's done, yeah. understand where she is in the claims process with the insurance company. Listen, we can, within a matter of minutes of talking to her, get an idea and, and understand what, what the full picture is, the legal picture is, and, and then tell her, here's what the strategy needs to be. And we're never, we're never going to pressure someone to do anything. It's, it's about giving options. People See, the problem is that people have no options. They feel like they have no options. Right. Let me correct that. And, and this is what we want to say here to people. This is what Martin and I keep saying time and time again. You have options. Don't let the insurance company make you believe like you have no options, like they're holding all the cards. That is not the case. Same thing goes with employers as well. You as an employee, you as a disabled individual, you have rights under the law. No one is above the law. The question is, how do you utilize the law in your favor right. to make sure that you get what you are owed? That's the key. So to answer your question, John, we need to speak with Laura to understand you know, the full context here because it could be that it's an employer issue, an employment issue, or it could be an insurance issue or both. My point is, as soon as we speak with her, we'll be able to tell her exactly what to do. Laura, that number, thanks for the quick note. Two lines turned into one heck of an answer for sure. It is one 821 5900 We'll see if our last couple minutes here we get to this last email by Peggy. I'll throw this one towards you. Martin says, uh, I'm disabled from working at my own job indefinitely due to PTSD associated with my employer. That is not a work-related injury, but I should be able to do some other type of work part-time in an easier job. I understand that my disability benefits will stop completely since it's before the two-year mark when I accept the job. I believe they would top me up if it was after the two-year mark. Can my employer fire me if I start working part-time somewhere else if I am still on unpaid sick leave? Would I be entitled to a severance if I have been there for 25 years? The only reason I cannot go back to work at my job, my own job, is due to the PTSD with medical to support that. What do you think, uh, Martin? Well, thank you, Peggy. Well, that's quite a scenario. So going back to the previous question and uh, someone's previous comments, uh, we have an employment team as well. 
who can give responses to the severance question and if the employer can fire her if she started working part-time somewhere else you know that, that's the great thing about this firm is we can comment and give advice on disability questions and employment questions the assessment though with respect to the disability itself is if within the first two years you're unable to perform the duties of your own occupation and you're mitigating by finding an easier job that's when the insurance company may need to top you up the assessment may be different when it comes to the change of definition in other words when there is a new assessment to see whether big is able to work in another occupation and then we would want to see what that income is that Peggy believes she can um, make and if she actually is able to perform those duties. We will need a lot more information on this, but I do think in a situation like this, specifically, Peggy, you should have a consult with one of us so we can analyze the facts and give you at least some information so you can act upon and make an informed decision. Good way to wrap it up. Thank you so much, Peggy, and everybody else for reaching out on the show today. You can continue to do so now that we're going to be off air in a moment. How do you do it? Help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email. MyDisabilityQuestions.com, free and anonymous place for you to ask questions with a searchable database. And then there's ltdfaq.ca. That is for quick, concise, easy to read and digest notes, memos about LTD and all the topics we talk about on the show. And then finally, just make the make the phone call, one 855 821 5900 and we'll catch you next time on the disability law show the proceeding was a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser the opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of cknw